0: Hello, and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Hello, Jen.
1: Hello, Allie.
0: Cue fake podcast music. do boo boo
1: boo Are
0: you ready for gang, 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 gangs from me?
1: <laughs> right. i I'm, I'm excited.
0: We're going to do gangs. Um, also, at work the other day, I accidentally bent my thumbnail back to the point where the nail separated from the thumb. I thought I saw Jesus. Um, yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then, after I had it all cleaned up and I was able to get all the blood you know, taken care of, I did it again.
1: Oh, my God it
0: hurt so bad people almost saw me cry at work (laughs) at one point I just wanted to lay on the floor and be like why
1: (laughs) I had had that happen to my toe like I had stubbed my toe and it it released you know ripped from the bed oh my Uh god I thought I would never stop bleeding and then actually I ended up losing my nail did you yeah, it, it took a while, but then my na- just all of a sudden I took my sock off one day uh-huh. and my nail came off.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then I read about it that trauma to your nail can cause it to fall off and it took a long time for it to grow back. Oh my gosh, why
0: well, sent your brother a text like I just hurt my thumbnail really bad. I need, like, a hug and some attention. And he was like, okay. So when I got home, he was like, all right, what kind of attention do you need? I'm like, I'm going to need, uh, we're going to need some nail clippers. He was like, all right. I was like, some Neosporin? <laughs> he was like, okay. I was like, and a leather strap for me to bite down on. <laughs> <laughs> and he trimmed what, what part of the nail he could. But I'm like, ow, 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 Oh,
1: my God, yeah. yeah that was horrible.
0: horrible.
1: What do, you, what do you got from me? Oh, okay, I'm
0: going to tell you the gang what you got from me.
1: Yeah, I know. You don't know what I have. Um, I have the murders at the VA hospital in Ann Arbor, 1975.
0: Oh, shit. Okay, let me go first. Let me go first.
1: Yep. And then
0: I want you to tell me about the murders because I actually have never heard of that before.
1: I didn't either. Okay, I was like, God, I'm not
0: the only one. Yep, so the only I'm going to tell you about the Flathead gang. Now, at one point, I made a note of myself to... Write down why they're called the Flathead Gang, but wherever that info went, I don't know where it is, <laughs> <laughs> but I got it from, I got info from Murderpedia, Wikipedia, statekillings in the steelcity.org, okay, <laughs> almanac.net and detroitnews.com, and here we go. Paul okay. Jorsky, he was born Paul Polzinski in Poland in 1900. And his parents immigrated to America when he was five years old in 1905. His parents were Catholic, but Paul declared himself an atheist. And he became a well-known gangster in Ohio, where he grew up. And in his early 20s, he became the leader of the Flathead Gang. And he changed his last name to Jorsky. And I don't know why. But the Flathead Gang, they had um, really famous crime sprees and robberies that covered Pennsylvania and Michigan. So at first, the robberies that were attributed to the Flathead Gang, they're like really small robberies, you know, inconsequential, just sticking up a few people. And then they shifted into high gear December 23rd, 1922. And as soon as I saw December 23rd, I'm like, you're fucking up somebody's Christmas. You're traumatizing the shit out of somebody around Christmas. And that is extra bad. So, yes, (laughs) December 23rd, 1922. There was a robbery. They did a robbery and a murder in Beetle, Pennsylvania. Payroll clerk John Ross Dennis was shot while being robbed of $23,000. And at first I was like, was it worth $23,000? But then I looked up what $23,000 was in 1922. Do you do you want to even kind of guess?
1: Oh, that's got to be like 500000
0: Close! Okay, you guessed way better than I did. It's 341,600 uh yeah, $641 and I was like, "What?" And he was carrying this money for his employer, the Pittsburgh Coal Company. Now, this large amount of money from the heist seemed to like satisfy the crew and they were inactive for about 3 years. Either okay, so either they're inactive or they did smaller petty crimes that weren't attributed to their gang because there's nothing in the police blotters, nothing in the newspapers. But by Mm -hmm. December 24th, 1925, so I'm like, oh, you're fucking up another fucking Christmas. (laughs) Oh, my God. The Flathead Gang were again a part of a robbery and a murder. While in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a payroll clerk named Isaiah L. Gump was killed while working for the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Terminal Coal Company. And this time they're able to take $48,000. $48,000 in December in 1925 was over $700,000 in today's money. So uh-huh. they drive off in this Lincoln touring car. That's it. They don't catch him. Now, sometime between that Christmas Eve murder and a robbery in the spring of 1927, so sometime between Christmas Eve 25 and spring of 27, there's a fallout between the gang members. And Paul Dworkowski shot and killed fellow Flathead member Jack Wright. And the rumor is they were arguing over the way the money had been divided. The loot had been divided after the heist. Jack felt like he, other people were getting a bigger cut and that he, you know, put in a lot of time and deserved more money. And Paul shot him and killed him. So hmm. on March 11th, 1927, the Flathead gang committed the first armored car bombing in history. Oh, yeah. Wow. The first gang, the so the gang stole 500 pounds of black powder from a nearby mine, like a nearby mining company, and then they waited. They had buried it in the ground. This The Brinks, because Brinks' company is actually that old, had two armored cars that were driving payroll money to the mining company. And, okay, three three articles I read listed three different mining companies that the money belonged to. So I'm not going to even pretend. So uh, the okay. two armored cars drive down Brightwood Road in Bethel, Pennsylvania. They come to a spot where the Flathead, Flathead Gang is hiding, and when they they literally did the old timey push the plunger down, like like you know, like, <laughs> like you saw like the Roadrunner would do or whatever, and boom yeah. the blast is huge on the from the detonator to the five hundred pounds boom, the car in front flips over and lands on its roof, the car in back drives into the creator creator
1: <laughs> crater
0: <laughs> created by the blast leaving the car at like a 75 or a 45 degree angle sticking out of the ground like the front of the car oh, you uh. can see it in a picture the front of the car is in the actual hole the shock of the blast threw open the car doors and the men actually fell out into the street that's how big it was none oh. of the men died Nobody Nobody. died. It threw them out of their cars, but nobody died. Did they get hurt? Yes. You know, were there concussions? Yes. Were there broken bones? Yes. But nobody died. And the Flathead Gang Hmm. at this point sold $104,000. And that is equal to over $1.5 million in today's money. So these guys are flush, right? They leave the scene. The nine gang members drive off in two cars. They're immediately able to find one of the cars abandoned down the road from the robbery. Why? Because it had car trouble. They all The yeah, <laughs> the people that were in the second car now all pile, pile into this Stearns Knight touring car. That car then gets a flat tire and the guys just scattered. They got all this fucking money. Everybody grabs a little bit, scatter. The next day, March 12, 1927, Paul is found at a farmhouse and that's because... A neighbor saw, some, saw a suspicious strange man in the area, calls the police. Now, Paul originally gives the police the name John Smith. And then finally, he's like, fuck it. I'm Paul, and I'm the, the leader of the Flathead Gang. Exactly two weeks later, March 26th, that's when he comes clean, right? He confesses. He pleads guilty to the yeah. murders of the payroll clerks because he's like, yeah, I'm Paul. I did it. I killed these people. I killed one clerk in 1922. I killed another one in 1925. And they're like, all right, you're sentenced to life in prison. And also, side note, due to the robbery, Brink started armoring their vehicles with steel instead of wood. The cars were reinforced with wood previous to being blown up like that. May 18th. I know, like, oopsies. May 18th, 1927. Paul, yeah, he's sentenced to the death for uh, sentenced to death for the murder of Isaiah Gump. Three months later, he breaks out of the Allegheny County Jail. Paul had teamed up with another inmate who was imprisoned for murder, named John Vastbender. Paul was able to get his brother Sam to smuggle guns into the jail. And as Sam was walking into the visiting room, he pulls out the three guns he had hidden on him. He gives one to his brother. He gives one to John Vassbender, a, a fellow murderer. And the three of them shoot their way out of the jail. Two guards are wounded during the process. Nobody dies. Paul and his gang. I know, right? I'm like, this guy's leading an exciting life. Paul and his gang, some who were never captured from that, the Brinks robbery, they laid low. They are able to avoid detection. All the way till June 8th, 1928, the Flathead Gang was found to have moved to Michigan. And how do authorities know this? Because that's the date that they robbed the Detroit News headquarters. Around 11 a.m., five men entered the news building with paper bags. (laughs) At a signal, they all removed the bags to reveal that they had shotguns. And as the man began the robbery, a switchboard operator named Mabel Kerr was talking to this man that's related to an employee. And then another employee, seeing what's happening, comes and tells Mabel about the robbery. Mabel tells the person that she's on the phone with, which is Harvey Patton. And he contacts the police and says, there's a robbery at Detroit News right now. Now, there's six robbers in on the operation with the final man being in the getaway car. And they've been casing different news offices for days. And Paul, who's the mastermind, believed that the Detroit News office would have about $65,000 to steal. But in the end, they were able to get about $15,000 before rushing from the building. Now, Sergeant George Barstad was a traffic patrolman who rushed toward the building when he was alerted that something was happening inside. And at the steps of the first floor lobby, George runs into two of the the gunmen, and they shot him dead, and they get to the getaway car. And as they're driving away, another patrolman named Craig empties his handgun into the fleeing Ford, and it's believed he struck the car at least once as it bolted. Maybe he got someone inside. They don't know. A casualty in the gunfight was this newspaper advertising salesman named Joseph Warden, his lower legs had been peppered with shotgun pellets that went wide of their target. He'd been approaching the news, um, the newspaper building where he worked and has no idea that anything's wrong until he gets shot in the legs. Two of the gangsters with Paul named Thomas Polzinski, who had the alias of Thomas Palace and Harry Watson, they were captured and brought into the Detroit, uh, brought into the Detroit News robbery. They were both convicted for their portion of the crime and they're sentenced to life in prison. Paul remains uncaught at this point. One article said that okay. Paul was caught in Cleveland, Ohio on September 14th, which is three months after the Michigan shootout. Another article said that he was caught on September 13th in Detroit, Michigan. And after like eight articles, I'm not fucking joking, the answer is September 13th in Cleveland, Ohio. I was like, <laughs> you bastards. <laughs> so in the end, oh my god. god. It's the beginning of September of 1928. Paul was in the shootout in a shootout with police officers, Anthony Wazorska and officer George E. Effinger. Anthony was killed during the gunfight and George was wounded. Paul was shot in the head, but it must've been a glancing blow because he survives. Yes. Oh, wow. a, ben- a bystander named Benjamin Maastricht is wounded by a stray bullet. At the time that Paul was caught by the police, he had been with his gang, and they were planning to storm the Allegheny Jail to free his brother, Sam. So when Paul gets caught, though, the jailbreak is canceled. Paul was indicted for murder okay. for Officer Anthony, which, why Sorge, I could not say his name, in Ohio. On October 28th, Ohio agrees to extradite to the state of Pennsylvania for the murders of those payroll employees. Pennsylvania carries a death penalty which Paul has now been sentenced to due to the murders of the payroll clerk and his earlier jailbreak. Paul tried to claim insanity, <laughs> the insanity defense to avoid the death penalty, but it failed. And after that, he starts to tell people <laughs> starts to tell people like, "Oh yeah, well, actually I killed 26 people. So you only got me for two. And for those 26 people I killed were police officers. So fuck you." So I was like, "Ooh. Yo." Oh. Paul was executed January 21st, 1929 in the electric chair. And shortly before his execution, he sent his friend's postcards with his future address marked as 45 Hell's Fire Road, 614th miles from hell. Yeah, this is one of his last quotes attributed to him. I preached atheism since the day I quit singing the choir. A man is yellow if he spends his life believing in nothing and then comes crawling to church because he's afraid death is near. 'Cause they brought in a priest and said, Would you like to confess before you're put to death? And he's like, Fuck you. <laughs> I was like, Wow. Paul is one hundred percent badassery. Yeah. Right. And he sent his friends for ten letters from hell. Come on. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> All right, you tell me yours. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, in 1975, 10 patients died at the VA hospital in Ann Arbor. Wow. And, and they died in like a three-month period.
0: Oh, so that's an uptick, right? And, okay. Yep. Yeah,
1: from respiratory failure. One day, three patients in a really short period of time in the same day required emergency care because they went into respiratory failure. One of the anesthesiologists realized that the patients were responding to medication that reversed a paralyzing drug called, it's Pavulon, P-A-V-U-L-O-N, okay. And the anesthesiologist contacted the FBI. Oh, shit. <laughs> because, <laughs> how... Yeah, because this shouldn't be. They shouldn't be being able to recover from this respiratory failure from this drug. Him to believe somebody was doing something bad. I get it. Um, So the FBI started an investigation, and during their investigation, and one of the patients who I, I believe obviously was in the room with the patient that went into respiratory uh-huh. failure, told the FBI they saw a nurse inject something into the patient's IV be- right before it oh, happened. So
0: one of the patients said that?
1: Yep, that they um. saw a nurse injecting something into the IV and that shortly after the that patient went into respiratory okay. failure. wow. And the nurse on duty at the time was, Philip. I don't know, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-A. Filipina. Filipina. And then as they were talking to more patients, another patient said they saw a nurse inject another patient with something right before they went into respiratory failure. And that nurse was Lenora. Uh Uh-oh. Two We have two nurses that were seen injecting something into these patients' IVs. Okay. So, the investigation continues. The two nurses were arrested. Getting to the trial date, both those patients that identified the nurses as injecting something into the IV died. What? Yeah, so... Now that their case, they don't have the two witnesses. Oh, shit. The trial went on though, and it was said, a, a lot of articles about how the whole trial had a lot of racial stuff okay. in it. Okay,
0: because the, I'm going to guess because the you nurses
1: know, um, weren't. Are yeah. Filipino. Okay. And during this time, there was something going on with a lot of Filipinos being, you know, immigrating to the U.S. And so one of the things I found was, you know, it was the people testifying that were saying racial things. During their tests, yeah, I just said yeah, that. Yeah, so
0: you're saying... Well, as you're testing, <laughs> so you're as saying they're, like the nurses and they doctors were saying are saying racial, racial shit about the nurses they're accusing? Okay.
1: Right. And one of the people who testified talked about how there was a nationwide cons- conspiracy of Filipino nurses murdering oh, veterans.
0: Fuck me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it was things like that well, being said. So. Cons-
0: w- I'm telling you, since the beginning of time, there's always been someone out there with some conspiracy there. there's ideas. Like, bless your heart.
1: <sighs> yeah. The prosecution talked during, ca- during the case how there were times during the incidents of patients going into respiratory failure that the two nurses were not working alone. Right. So they were not alone on the floor. There could be this possibility here. That somebody else could have done it. But they emphasize that in all cases, they could prove that these two nurses were in close proximity of these patients. And patients or patients' visitors testified that they saw these nurses in the room prior to the patient going into respiratory okay. failure. The jury actually acquitted the nurses of the murder charges, but found them guilty of conspiracy and poisoning patients. Uh Yep. So not guilty of murder, just poisoning and conspiracy to poison. And then this led this conviction led to many protests with, you know, a lot of Filipino groups protesting. There was articles about the president of the the Filipino Medical Association saying that it was an injustice. They're being, um, they're being you know, picked up because they're
0: foreign. That's what he's saying.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So about a year later, after the guilty verdict, the case was reviewed by a judge. And the judge actually overturned the guilty verdict verdict, because they said, based on the jury possibly being influenced um, by the prosecution's prejudicial presentation during the case. Okay, so
0: because they were prejudiced against the nurses, it influenced the jurors, and that's why he thinks they were found yep. guilty.
1: Roger. All right. Yep. And so it was, so it was wow. overturned.
0: So now they're guilty of nothing.
1: Yep, guilty of nothing.
0: So who murdered the peoples?
1: Well, they... Did they? I think they did.
0: But after that, though, nobody got murdered?
1: What do you mean nobody well, got murdered? Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. After they got arrested. Oh, I get what yeah. you're saying. I'm like, what do you mean after the <laughs> <Yeah>. trial? <laughs> like, um, all of a
0: sudden the murder side? Like,
1: yeah, after Right. After they were arrested, it all
0: stopped. Well it could be the person that or it could be they did it, or it could be the person that was doing it got scared when they got caught. Like, oh shit, people are getting busted for this. Maybe. Is, uh, yeah, I want to know who did it. See, things like that will make me crazy, like who did it? <laughs> That's why I'm a thousand percent into the forensic genealogy. I feel like although DNA you do share the segments they look at, like one in a billion. I just feel like it's a little bit, I don't know, reliable. All right, Jen. I'm sorry those people died in 1975, but it was still a good year.
1: (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye.
0: Contact us at anchor or Michigan and other mayhem at gmail.com or on Facebook to join the conversation, listen to the podcast or correct us when necessary. Rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Bye-bye now.